Welcome back to Mark's Madness Now, part of Chunkaluta. We are doing it again. We're back again. Hello. Hello. <laughs> it's me and Prez again. Uh, she wanted to had some come up, so it's going to be us two again this week um, when we do resume reading. Uh, and welcome back to Mark's Madness Pod. We read books, part of the Chunkaluta Network. My name is David. I'm Prez. And uh, we're going to be starting on. Uh, is that chapter three or part? No, the chapter is fascist reaction, communist strategy. Section three of chapter five of 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 this book segment in the reader of the Gramsci. Part million. Part million. Slide one thirty three. <laughs> um, and it's it's kind of on the bottom left of the slide, and it's the uh, letter letter to the Central Committee of the Soviet Communist Party. Uh, before that, eventually, very soon, here we will have the new news show show. And that will be where current events come from. And we will only comment as appropriate um, tied into the reading from there um, a little more organically, like Mark Madness was way, way back in, in its early aughts. Um, and uh, for now, though, we do want to make sure we touch on current events, especially with so much going on. Um, we have, you know, of course, the, the continued genocide against Palestinians. Um, there's the continued genocide in the Congo, which is now suddenly getting mainstream attention, um, which is, is good, but, you know, leaves things a little weary for spin. And a lot of that, that spin is, is, you know, directed to idea of like religious extremists that just don't like the United Nations because they're crazy people or whatever, you know, the fucking spin is. Um, but before we go into that, uh, we were going to talk about some strikes in the Scandinavian regions against Tesla. So Tesla is in the middle of having a strike in Sweden because Tesla sucks. Um, it turns out their cyber truck, uh, completely unrelated. Uh, <laughs> if anyone's familiar with how cars work, if, uh, you ever have an issue with your wiring with the car, you usually have to replace a single wire, right? Because you don't want like crosstalk happening. Like you don't want the wire on your window to accidentally turn on your radio. Tesla for their Cybertruck had the bright idea to just say, why don't we have an ethernet cable run down the center of the car and we have everything plug into the ethernet cable and run it all on 48 volts or something like that. This is terrific. And from the company that does <laughs> self-driving cars, just seems like great safety um, concern. This, the recklessness, I, I'm sorry, but like corporations are always reckless, right? Human lives don't matter to them. Environmental degradation doesn't matter to them, but at least there's usually some sanity in the product unless they can get away with like, shoving rat poison and toothpaste and make a higher profit out of it. Right. Um, the recklessness just for the sake of claiming they have an idea of Tesla. I just, I've, I've, it's, it's bewildering. Um, yeah. this is, this is the same cyber truck that has no idea why we developed crumple zones and brags that, that the car would not, you know, be crushed in certain capacities. Um, that this is the same cyber truck that is this not the one where Elon Musk threw the big lead ball at the window? I think that was a cyber truck too, right? Yeah. 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 So this, this thing is just the cyber truck itself particularly is, is, is an incredible microcosm of Tesla being a pox on humanity. 
Yeah, and th this is like uh, Tesla's, like the Model 3 or whatever. If you have a Model 3, you should get rid of it because if there's ever a fire and the electricity stops working, you don't have physical door handles. Um, and there's no secret hidden lever in the back of your car to pop open the doors and this is with the famously super hard to smash windows that yeah that it was funny to see the lead ball hit it but it's gonna be very hard for a person like even if you keep ball peen hammer in your car yeah. or a spike or something to, to cut through it um and again tesla's very famously have a very high just straight up cars combusting rate like <laughs> it's a death box it's a fucking death box and uh tesla so usually when there's disruption in the auto industry the the way that they disrupt the auto industry like toyota honda hyundai all of these like east asian companies fucking up uh european and american companies they figure out how to do cheaper production they don't use labor they figure out how to have the factories run lean and all of that kind of stuff um so they're the ones who invented the idea that now all of like healthcare is running on that we don't actually have to have a stock room. Um, they're the ones who came up with that. Um, they didn't actually come up with concepts of like, what if we lean down the cars themselves because those are safety features. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's not a lot of innovation in that. Um, so Tesla's trying to innovate safety features that can't really be innovated. But right now in Sweden, there's a strike because the Swedes are like, hey, this sucks working for you. Um, and now it turns out in Scandinavia, there's a thing called a solidarity strike, which we see a little bit in the US. So like UPS, you can say you're not delivering a package because a strike is going on. But generally, it's illegal in the U.S. Like, if you are a, uh, I don't know, if you're if you're a pizza delivery guy and you're unionized somehow, you can't say I'm not delivering pizzas to Amazon because the way the warehouse is on strike that day. Um, it's getting pretty crazy in Scandinavia now because now Denmark. And Norway, like Norwegian trade unions, are saying we're not delivering Teslas across the border um, to Sweden or car parts or anything Tesla related uh, until Tesla agrees to do collective bargaining with the trade union. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So if if uh, you want to do collective uh, solidarity striking and it's illegal in your state or city, laws are made up. Um, <laughs> They're all fake. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not an attorney and I can't represent you, but <laughs> there's something called long-term strategic planning. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> we. We do, do got to remember, I mean, obviously there's there's certain level of laws just for general societal order that any society would gun for, moral or not, and there's general level of morality, but largely laws are for maintaining power, and they are immoral, and they are just another tool of power along the lines of, like, a gun. And so it depends on who is wielding that tool, how, and why, and, uh, yeah, capitalist-backed... 
or capitalist countries and and you know the 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 governments that that back their capitalists are are just the same ways they use guns and cops. All laws Those are, laws are you should murder yeah. whoever you want because it's That's, all a capitalist <laughs> construct. <laughs> we we didn't say that. Oh my god. Um <laughs> It's the purge time, baby. It's the purge time. Um, but, you know, I mean, they're a social construct, right? Um, just like money and things like that. And you can't just snap it away because it's a social construct. It's it's very real and there's very real harm done. We've talked with the Shogmani too, um before on here about, you know, colonialism and the use of legality as a tool for colonialism and uh, the not dismissing legality in decolonial struggle as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is that the laws, they're, they're not some inane, unmovable thing that just puts a block up on you. They're, they're just a tool and you have to be careful of the ramifications of those tools being wielded. Other than that, what the fuck are they? Um, Moving on from that, uh, speaking of laws, since people like to throw around things like war crimes, but those never se- seem to be criminalized by, you know, uh, Western and Western-backed governments, uh, especially, you know, when those go on in the global South. Obviously, um, in Palestine, things are, you know, there's there's continued tragic cutoff of food and electricity and water um, in this temporary ceasefire, now there's this kind of setting in of picking up the rubble um, with with the temporary ceasefire, which is just bringing how much death and destruction has happened to the surface. Um, and then, of course, along the lines of that, uh, with that stage being hit in uh, Israel's latest wave of ethnic cleansing against Palestinians, uh, people are starting to pay a little more attention to some other world events. Uh, obviously, you know, there's get a little more mainstream to talk about the Congo. Um, this was something that's been happening. I mean, really since the nineties, there's, there's never been peace. Like the UN peace forces have, have been there supposedly since after the Rwandan genocide. And there's never really been peace. Um, you know, the democratic Republic of the Congo, uh, comes out of an old, uh, Dutch colony, one where very famously people's limbs were cut off for, you know, not, um, stripping rubber from from rubber trees uh sufficiently enough it was very very brutal under under leopold um and then after its decolonial struggle uh historically peaceful groups um uh like the tutsi and uh i am suddenly forgetting the name of the main ethnic group in the congo who yeah i'm sorry um and they they uh uh, you know, historically were peaceful. And, and now, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, the, the, the Sunni and Shia thing, you know, they'll talk about, Oh, this, this struggle goes back like a thousand years. These were peaceful people until, you know, Western intervention kind of spiced things up, you know, in that case, in the seventies, in this case, kind of throughout the 20th century. Um, and uh, so we saw a brutal genocide in the nineties uh, in the great Congolese war. And that was officially kind of declared ended when, you know um, it was kind of a, essentially a permanent settlement of, of UN peacekeepers to try to fix the situation, but there's never really been peace. It's never really settled. It's still constantly been a war between Uganda, Rwanda, and um, uh, the DRC. Um, and 
all of these governments that are left laying there are are pretty well Western backed, <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean they necessarily like each other and the people then are hurt, right? Um, because the people are subject to these wars and these warring factions and these actions, uh, but they don't even get to fight for a government that represents or ca- cares for them. Um, a big place a lot of this heats up, of course, is Goma, which is uh, on the northern uh, half of there's there's two big lakes there's there's basically a, a, a massive like lake chain that goes up eastern africa and a couple of lakes are as big as the great lakes uh both you know touching tanzania and that's lake victoria um and then lake and i i um hope i always pronounce this correctly tanganyika um and that's where you know that goes up along the coast of the congo and then just north of that right um, right where Uganda and Rwanda and everything border the Congo, you get uh, Lake Kivu. And in the north side of Lake Kivu is Goma. That's right where, you know, you see the border of Rwanda and the Congo. And so a lot of this conflict has happened there. <laughs> um, and just, you know, in July, Rwanda uh, was was pushing, you know, escalating invasion in there into the Congo. And as recently as I think it was two months ago or a month ago, there was protests in Goma against, you know, the government and the French, you know, colonialism and UN peacekeepers. There's been these uprisings kind of along the lines of, of the West African uh, coups and uprisings. And it was really underreported. It was like 60 people, I think was the death count killed by the government of the Congo against these, these uh, pro anti-Western protesters. And it was, it was labeled like, you know, religious fanatics and kind of, you know, dusted away. Right. Um, and since then there's been further escalation of Rwandan invasion to the point where people are being mass displaced and we're, we're looking at a genocide again. And it's a genocide where people are, are fighting and warring factions and there's no real government there backing any of them. Um, this is, is Western intervention at the finest. And a, a big part of this escalation is upcoming elections. When the last election, uh, an opposition party kind of won in the Congo, but then they screwed with the results and just didn't let it happen. Um, so, you know, in the Congo, this is very much is a, a Western puppet government. Um, but now other Western puppet governments are invading for their own interest and they're all backed by the West. And the West could just say, hey, stop that right now. And they, they could hit the stop button but they don't fucking care. They're just worried about it being a bad look when it gets to the news. And that's about it. Other than that, it's still constant fights for diamond mines and and mineral resources uh, across the Congo. So, you know, we need to keep that in mind and we need to be careful about Western reports of, of unrest or benign reports or lack of reporting that we've had up until recently. Um, or, you know, some belief system that this is the good government and this is not, they're all fucking Western puppets and, and there really needs to be an uprising against it. And the way it's going to be reported, that's really going to screw with it is these guys are all against, you know, uh, UN forces. And so they're all terrorists and, and fanatics and, and everything like that. When these are people that they want the UN and they want France out for decolonial reasons. You know, we, we've talked about the UN, obviously not as explicit as NATO, but for several reasons really stands as a, a colonial um, vestige. You know, there's plenty of times that other countries go there and they, they vote on resolutions and pass resolutions and advocate there. It has some, some decolonial function, some world peace functions that it, it claims to, to have and prescribes to and does a little bit. But in the end, 
you know, uh, the West, especially the U.S., just vetoes anything that's not in their interest. None of that really has power. And then the U.N. can be used to, you know, shove troops into Africa, shove, uh, quote unquote, aid into Haiti after the earthquake to, to make sure U.S. puppets stay in there, even, you know, while cholera spreads. Um you know, there's a lot of colonized people throughout the world that see very much that the UN, where they are supposed to have representation, they are essentially told they're a lesser country if they're not in the big, what is it, six that are in the Security Council. Um, and then, uh, you know, not only the categorized literally as lower uh, than some of these these Western countries in the UN where they get to go and, and advocate on the world stage, uh, but the UN forces then are doled out pretty well at at the behest of of the west and its puppets and and those un forces have been in the congo for like 30 years and there has not been peace and people just want peace um i think the only thing i have to talk about unless you have something else prez is just a quick touch uh, kind of a celebratory a little more good news um, is the, the dam project, um, where they're abolishing four dams across the, the Klamath river in, in Northern California, uh, because, and Shikmati too has been on here talking about recent or many times about talking to people where they're like, you know, there used to be thousands of salmon in these lakes and in these rivers. And now it's, it, the, the numbers are paltry, right? They're in the tens and hundreds, I think closer to the tens, um, so, you know, along Northern California, these dams are, are finally getting knocked down thanks to indigenous on the ground organizing and work. And that will help bring back some of these these fish populations that have been destroyed by these dams. You know, dams are not a, a benign thing or an always good thing. Right. They're they're a man-made invention that could be used for colonialism and environmental destruction um, or, you know, can be used for. Uh, benefits and most of the dams in the U.S. are for colonialism and environmental destruction, and as we've talked about on here before, too, explicit genocide of indigenous people. So this is a big, big win. I guess my only other news, if we're doing good news, is that the government, the U.S. government, announced that uh, their funding goals for rail in the US um, and they're increasing funding for a lot of projects. So it's good. We're still not going to get China scale stuff, but there's a lot of states that like had one rail line or like one service per week that are going to have daily service or are going to have a rail line. Um, they're also giving funding to the California high-speed rail, which is nice. Um, and then my pet peeve is that they're giving funding to the Bright Line, private line, that is going to be running from uh, Las Vegas to the most inconvenient part of fucking L.A. <laughs> um, but the business sense, though. Right, you gotta you gotta have your contractors. You can't do this with like pure democratic decisions. You need your contractors. The contractor said so. No, it's not for that reason specifically. Oh. For once, it's because so Brightline is a private contractor, 
And they are, anyone who's listening who is familiar with LA, they're going from Las Vegas to Rancho Cucamonga. And anyone who's not familiar with uh, Los Angeles, Rancho Cucamonga is a good minimum hour and a half-ish by transit from downtown LA. Um, the reason it stops there is because Brightline can build its own rail from Las Vegas to Rancho Cucamonga. But then after that, it has to share the track with LA. And for that to work, LA needs to electrify the line because for some reason, the second largest or third largest city in the country is using diesel trains on a commuter line. Um, so the government is not funding an electrification of the rail line. They're funding a private company uh, to build a line that Amtrak was operating until 1997. <laughs> Jeez. There was an Amtrak line from LA to Las Vegas until 1997. So we're literally reinventing the the wheel. Reinventing but anyway. When we could uh, simply, I don't know, make Amtrak more affordable, but we would never do that. We could make Amtrak run more frequently, more affordable, better, but God forbid. God um, forbid. Anyway, let's read about how Gramsci is telling Stalin to cool it a little bit. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Letter to the Central Committee of the Soviet Communist Party, written in October 1926. Dear comrades, the Italian communists and all the conscious workers of our country have always followed your discussions with the greatest attention. On the eve of every Congress and every conference of the Russian Communist Party, we were confident that, despite the sharpness of the polemics, the unity of the Russian Party was not in danger. We were indeed confident that, having achieved a greater ideological and organizational homogeneity through such discussions, the party would be better prepared and equipped to overcome the multiple difficulties which attend the exercise of power in a worker state. Today, on the eve, eve of your 15th conference, we no longer have, such have the confidence we had in the past. We cannot free ourselves from a sense of anguish. It seems, it seems to us that the present attitude of the opposition bloc and the sharpness of the polemics within the Communist Party of the USSR necessitate intervention by fraternal parties. It is precisely by this conviction that we are motivated in addressing this letter to you. It may, I just think it's really funny that he's just like, hey, do you need an outside mediator? Uh, We're willing to come in and help. <laughs> Sometimes people need a counselor. Um, 
It may be that the isolation in which our party is forced to exist has led us to exaggerate the, the dangers in connection with the internal situation in the Communist Party of the USSR. In any case, our judgment of the international repercussions of this situation is clearly not exaggerated, and as internationalists, we wish to carry out our duty. The present situation in which in our brother party in the USSR seems to us different and far more serious than in previous discussions, because today we see occurring and deepening a split in the Leninist central group, which has always been the leading nucleus of the party and the international. A split of this kind independently of the numerical results of, this con of the Congress votes can have the most serious repercussions, not only if the oppositional minority does not accept with the greatest loyalty the fundamental principles of revolutionary party discipline, but also if in carrying on its polemics and its struggle, it goes beyond certain limits which are above all formal democracy. So here, here he's complaining about Trotsky a little. One of Lenin's most precious lessons was that we should pay great attention to the opinions of our class enemies. Well, dear comrades, it is certain that the strongest press organs and statesmen of the international bourgeoisie are counting on this organic character of the conflict that exists within the fundamental nucleus of the Communist Party of the USSR, are counting on a split in our brother party, and are convinced that this must lead to the disintegration and slow death agony of the proletarian dictatorship, that it will bring about the ruin of the revolution, which the invasions and the white guard revol revolts did not succeed in bringing about. The very coolness and circumspection with which the bourgeois press today seeks to analyze Russian events and the fact that it seeks to avoid so far as it can the violent demag demagogy, which was more characteristic of it in the past, are symptoms which should cause the Russian comrades to reflect and make them more conscious of their responsibility. For another reason, too, the international bourgeoisie is counting on a possible split or on a worsening of the internal crisis in the Communist Party of the USSR. The worker state has now existed in Russia for nine years. It is certain that only a little minority, not merely of the working class, but even of the communist parties themselves, in the other countries is capable of reconstructing in its entirety the whole development of the revolution and of finding even in the details of which everyday life is made up in the Soviet state, the continuity of the red thread which leads to the general prescriptive perspective sorry, of the construction of socialism. This is true not only in those countries where freedom of association no longer exists and freedom of the press has been totally suppressed or subjected to unprecedented limitations, as in Italy, where the courts have confiscated and forbidden the printing of the books of Trotsky, Lenin, Stalin, Zinoviev, and most recently of the Communist Manifesto as well, but also in those countries where our parties still have the possibility of supplying their members and the masses in general with an adequate documentation.
In these countries, the great masses cannot understand the discussions which are taking place in the Communist Party of the USSR, especially if they are as violent as the present ones and concern not some question of detail, but the political line of the party in its entirety. Not just the working masses in general, but even the mass members within our party see and wish to see in the Republic of the Soviets and in the party which is in power there, a single combat unit that is working in the general perspective of, so of socialism. Only insofar as the Western European masses see Russia and the Russian party from this point of view do they accept freely and as a historically necessary fact that the CPSU should be the leading party in the international. Only for that reason are the Republic of Soviets and the CPSU today a formidable element of revolutionary organization and propulsion. The bourgeois and social democratic parties for the same time, for the same reason, exploit the internal polemics and conflicts which exist within the CPSU. They want to combat this influence of the Russian Revolution to combat the revolutionary unity which is forged around the CPSU throughout the world. Dear comrades, it is extremely significant that in a country like Italy, where the fascist state, party, and party organization succeeds in stifling every noteworthy manifestation of autonomous life on the part of the great mass of workers and peasants, it is significant that the fascist papers, especially those in the provinces, are full of articles technically well-constructed for propaganda purposes, with the minimum of demagogy or insulting comment, in which an attempt is made to demonstrate with a manifest effort to achieve objectivity that now, as is proved by the best-known leaders of the joint opposition in the CPSU themselves, the state of the Soviets is inexorably becoming a purely capitalist state, and that hence, in the world duel between fascism and Bolshevism, fascism will come out on top. This campaign, if it shows that the Republic of the Soviets still enjoys limitless sympathy among the great mass of the Italian people, who in some regions have only received a trickle of illegal party literature for six years now, also shows that fascism, which very well, which knows very well the real internal situation in Italy, and has learned to deal with the masses, is seeking to utilize the political stance of the joint opposition to break definitively the firm aversion of the workers to Mussolini's government, and to bring about a state of mind in which fascism can appear at least as an inelicutable historical necessity, notwithstanding the brutalities and other ills which accompany it. I... I, I want to pause there really quick. Um, so this is still on the, the section of the opposition block being Trotsky um, and, and the, the block that Trotsky leads versus the, the, the block that, that Stalin largely leads. And again, that gets a little great Manny, but this is just to sort the, the blocks out. Right. Um, and the joint opposition again is a massive propaganda win for 
fascism because they're taking those criticisms and they're they're amplifying them and blanketing them and and saying, look, you know, we're we're necessary. These are these are the problems. This this is the the horrors that come about from socialism or or whatever the hell, right? Because fascism has always been about speaking to the working class in a way that serves the bourgeoisie uh, without the the facade of, of liberalism. And so the way they do that is, is other very specific facades, right? It's, it's deeply bent on anti-communism. It's deeply bent on bigotry. It's deeply bent on um, crystallizing the social structures and turning anybody in a specific point in any hierarchy against anyone below them in, in that same social hierarchy. Um, and that, leverages stuff that that's very very well used you know there's a a quote i think it's it's gables was like praising trotsky for being the best thing that could have happened to nazi germany right as they're at the height of the whole judeo-bolshevik um you know uh uh propaganda campaign uh so it's not that trotsky was never a revolutionary he was an important part of the revolution uh it's that you know not only is there some counter-revolutionary current to his ideas but the very existence of that opposition block and not resolving it intra-country and intra-party uh kind of smeared everywhere for everyone to see um was you know it doesn't matter what the ideology of that opposition is it's opposition against an enemy to the fascists and that's that's useful right? Because they just need to say enemy bad because that's all fascism is, right? Identify supposed enemies, say enemy is bad. And then in the background, you're doing every fucking thing the liberals did um, with specific interest of the petty bourgeoisie. uh, Yeah. Petty bourgeois um, in mind. Yeah. And it's even specifically talking about the whole uh, Russia is a, the Soviet Union is a capitalist state argument that we even hear today about China or even the Soviet Union uh, back then. Yeah. That, that was even uh, lending power to the, the fascist propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, it's not, it's not that the, you know, the Soviet Union was above some kind of criticism or anything like that. It's that, when you make these uh, facile criticisms, not only are they facile, they're not the good criticism, but when you're speaking in language that, that you know, the, the general public is not going to listen to in the same way that, that you speak it, then any meaning can be drawn out of it. Um, and fascists are very good about taking a term that has a very specific meaning and then just acting like it has some other meaning that kind of sounds like it. And because of the very real meaning, people are, are you know, latch on to, to that term. And then it just, you know, um, all that meaning gets washed out. They use it to something that seems good to them. And, you know, like being poor, right? Being poor is, is very bad to, to most people. Fascists will say, oh, f- you know, communism makes everybody poor. Well, not only is that just totally dishonest pejorative, but to them it's honest because nobody is, you know, communism doesn't make billionaires, right? Um, if you don't have anybody serving you, that's that's poor to them. But that doesn't mean the same thing to your ears as them. And then they can get away with, you know, just saying that and getting each other to believe it because they believe it's very true. Um, and so when you lend that language, oh, the Soviet Union was capitalist anyway. Communism can't succeed. It fails. It's, it just turned capitalist anyway. What are you even fighting for? And then it dulls revolution. You don't have to turn on the, the Communist Party fully. You just have to like, just have to have a little strength in that backing kind of siphoned off 
We believe that in the entire international, our party is the one which feels most keenly the repercussions of the serious situation with, which exists in the CPSU. This is the case not just for the reasons set out above, which are so to speak external ones, which relate to the general conditions of revolutionary development in our, in our country. You will know that all the parties of the international have, have inherited both from the old social democracy and from the differing national traditions that exist in the various countries, anarchism, syndicalism, et cetera, et cetera, a mass of prejudices and ideological features which represent the breeding ground for all deviations of both the right and the left. In the last years, but especially after the Fifth World Congress, our parties were beginning to achieve through the painful experience and through wearisome, exhausting crises, a secure Leninist stabilization. They were beginning to become true Bolshevik parties. New proletarian cadres were being created from below, from the factories. The intellectual elements were subjected to a rigorous selection process and to a pitiless, pitilessly strict test on the basis of their practical work on the terrain of action. This reworking took place under the guidance of the CPSU as a united ensemble and of the great leaders of the CPSU. While the sharpness of the present crisis and the threat of an open or latent split that it contains is halting this process of development and elaboration, crystallizing right and left deviations, putting off once again the achievement of an organic unity of the World Party of Workers. It is upon this aspect in particular that we believe it is our duty as, inter as internationalists to call the attention of the most responsible comrades of the CPSU. Comrades, in these past nine years of world history, you have been the organizing and propulsive element of the revolutionary forces in all countries. The function which you have developed has no precedent to equal in it, in it, it in breadth and depth in the entire history of humanity. But today you are destroying your work. You are degrading and run the risk of annihilating the leading function which the CPSU won through Lenin's contribution. It seems to us that the violent passion of the Russian affairs is causing you to lose the sight of international aspects of Russian affairs themselves, is causing you to forget that your duties as Russian militants can and must be carried out within the framework, only within the framework of the interests of the international proletariat. So basically, you know, the battle at this point is communism in one country versus uh, permanent revolution and um, the, the, is that what is right? Permanent? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I was making sure I got my terms right. Cause, um, but uh, uh, to so, some degree, like the idea of that is national versus international. And this is like, Hey, Everything you do nationally affects everyone internationally. Let's let's get our hats on and think about that a little bit. And you know, you're you can't. The point of the vanguard is to lead. If the vanguard's divided, no one's leading, and that has international ramifications. 
Yeah, with. so right before this, we were talking about how he's essentially spending a few paragraphs criticizing Trotsky and saying that Trotsky's being a little bitch. And now he pivots to saying, essentially, the uh, Stalin faction, you guys are the ones in charge, and the CPSU are the kind of uh, goal that everyone looks to. So you need to start acting like it. Um, So now we're going to see more of a criticism of the Stalin faction. Yeah, and I guess that's probably where I should um, take over. So the Political Bureau of the Italian Communist Party has studied with the greatest care and attention of which it is capable all the problems which are today under discussion in the CPSU. The questions which are posed for you today may be posed for our party tomorrow. In our country, too, the rural masses make up the majority of the working population. Moreover, all the problems inherent in the proletariat's hegemony will certainly present themselves in our country in a more complex and sharp form even than in Russia, because the density of the rural population in Italy is enormously greater because our peasants have an extremely rich tradition of organization and have always succeeded in making their specific mass weight felt keenly in national political life because the organizational apparatus of the church has 2000 years of tradition behind it in our country and has specialized in propaganda and in the organization of the peasants in a way that has no equal in other countries. If it is true that the industry is more developed in our country that and in the proletariat uh, in our country and the proletariat has a considerable material basis, it is also true that this industry does not have raw materials within the country and is therefore more exposed to crisis. Hence, the proletariat will only be able to carry out its leading function if it is very rich in the spirit of sacrifice and has freed itself completely from every residue of reformist or syndicalist corporativism. Um, and I think that's really important to point out the, the resource point. You know, um, all of these European powers were colonial powers, and, and Russia was not immune to that. But Russia also internally... Um, you know, has a lot of natural resources, whereas Europe really just kind of builds on exploiting the natural resources of others above and beyond. So you get into like reformists or syndicalists and how do you make things better in the country? Well, you know, make, you can't do that by taking away the resources, you know, (laughs) like that's where sometimes I hate this talk. There's two reasons I hate the richest country in the world talk. First off, um, that's not just a, a, a real ordained place that the United States just has and should always have and is is magically there. And it's the richest country in the world. So things should be good here, right? Because what? how the fuck did it get rich? You know, we're talking not only the genocide of indigenous people across the land as it happened throughout the Americas, uh, but also the U.S. pivoting as... Um, the ultimate superpower of Western colonialism and that colonialism providing that and continued colonialism. We can't just take as like a realism as something that just continues. Um, the other point, and it's less applicable to this discussion that, that I hate that for is, you know, if you can go through and complain about why is this so bad in the richest country? world, why is this so bad in the richest country in the world? Well, what, what makes it the richest country in the world? The U S has the most money, but like is the median life the richest, <laughs> you know, <laughs> 
um, it's 30th in life expectancy. It's, it's, you know, 28th in, in literacy and all kinds of stuff like that. I don't remember the exact rankings, but they're all in that range. Um, you know, so that I, I, I just hate that language for multiple reasons. And this really underscores the colonial nature of that language. Um, but it also like, you know, applies it to the Italian aspect. You have reformists, you have syndicalists that are going to care about their union. We've seen that in the United States, the, the very, you know, xenophobic nature of some trade unions. Um, you can't bow to that. And so that's going to be enhanced in any Western country, um, including Italy. From this realistic and we believe Leninist point of view, the political bureau of the Italian Communist Party has studied your discussions. Uh, one sec. Uh, hitherto, we have expressed a party view only on the strictly disciplinary question of factions. Since we wish to respect the request you made after your 14th Congress not to take the Russian discussion into other sections of the international. Now we declare that we consider basically correct the political line of the majority of the Central Committee of the CPSU and that the majority of the Italian party will certainly take the same position if it becomes necessary to pose the whole question. We do not wish and we think it useless to direct agitation or propaganda at you or at the comrades of the joint opposition. We will not, therefore, make a list of all the specific questions with our opinion in the margin. We repeat that we are struck by the fact that the attitude of the opposition concerns the entire political line of the Central Committee and touches at the very heart of the Leninist doctrine and the political action in our Socialist Party. It is the principle and practice of the proletariat's hegemony that are brought into question the fundamental relations of alliance between workers and peasants that are disturbed and placed in danger, i.e. the pillars of the worker state and the revolution. That's a damn strong sentence. Comrades, history has never seen a dominant class in its entirety, experiencing conditions of living inferior to those of certain elements and strata of the dominated and subjugated subjected class. This unprecedented contradiction has been reserved by history as the destiny of the proletariat. In this contradiction lie the greatest dangers for the dictatorship of the proletariat, especially in those countries where capitalism has not had any great development or succeeded in unifying the productive forces. It is from this contradiction which moreover already appears in certain forms in those capitalist countries where the proletariat has objectively reached a high social function that reformism and syndicalism, the corporate spirit and the stratifications of the labor aristocracy are born. My God, that was a very strong shut up and let the book read moment, wasn't it? I'm so bad about those. <laughs> uh, yet the proletariat cannot become the dominant class if it does not overcome this contradiction through the sacrifice of its corporate interests. It cannot maintain its hegemony and its dictatorship if even what has become dominant, it does not sacrifice these immediate interests for the general and permanent interest of the class. Certainly, it is easy to be demagogic in this sphere. It is easy to insist on the negative sides of contradiction. Are you the ruler, O oh, badly dressed and badly fed workers? Or is this Netman, 
in his furs with all the gods of the earth at his disposal, the real ruler. Similarly, the reformists after revolutionary strike, which has increased the cohesion and discipline of the masses, but which has a result of its long duration has yet further impoverished the individual workers involved, say, what was the point of struggling? You are ruined and impoverished. It is easy to become demagogic in the sphere. It is easy and it is hard not to, to be when the question has been posed in the terms of corporate spirit and not in those of Leninism the doctrine of hegemony of the proletariat, which historically finds itself in one particular position, not in another. For us, this is the essential element in your discussions. It is in this element that the root of the errors of the joint opposition and the origin of the latent dangers contained in its activities lie. And the ideology and practice of the joint opposition are born again to the full whole tradition of social democracy and syndicalism, which has hitherto prevented the Western proletariat from organizing himself as a leading class. Only a firm unity and a firm discipline in the party, which governs the worker state, can ensure the proletarian hegemony under the regime under the regime of the new economic policy, i.e., amid the full development of the contradiction to which we have referred. But the unity and discipline in this case cannot be mechanical and enforced. They must be loyal due to conviction and not those of an enemy unit imprisoned or besieged, whose only thought is of escape or unexpected sortie. This, dearest comrades, is what we wish to say to you with the spirit of brothers and friends, even, even if you're younger brothers. Comrades Zinoviev, Trotsky, Kamenev have contributed powerfully to the education us for the educating us for the revolution. They've at times corrected us with great force and severity. They've been among our masters. To them especially, we address ourselves as those principally responsible for the present situation because we like to feel certain that the majority of the Central Committee of the USSR does not intend to win a crushing victory in the struggle and is disposed to avoid excessive measures. The unity of our brother party in Russia is necessary for the development and triumph of the world revolutionary forces. To this necessity, every communist and internationalist must be prepared to make greatest, the greatest sacrifices. The damage caused by the error of a united party is easily mended. That caused by a split or a prolonged condition of a latent split may easily be irreparable and fatal. With communist greetings, the political bureau of the PCDI, uh, Selected Prison Works 2, 426 to 432. And we should go no further because no. we are going to start the aspects of the Southern question, which deserves our it, full attention. Yes. Uh, well, and I, I think it's really interesting there because it's, it's a criticism seeing the purges coming before the purges came that is really, you know, on point. Right. And it, it's, it's always something that's tough to thread when people, you know, glorify Trotsky or, or even worse, the Western translation of, of Trotsky, which is, is, you know, very, very anti-socialist. And I think Trotsky would smack the crap out of, of people for, if he could. Um, and it, we have to remember that, you know, at the time, Trotsky, Zinoviev, these guys are, are revolutionaries. They're a big part of the revolution, right? And and they brought revolutionary thoughts that helped in the coalesced uh, thought that was 
the Russian Revolution and in turn the Soviet Union, even if the greater leaders of that thought and the, the stronger, more lasting ideas came from Lenin and Stalin and the like. Um, and so we shouldn't write these things off. We should be able to see where they deviate and they're wrong. But also in this big split, this is a criticism of, well, if we listen to our enemies, at least strategically to understand things, and we have comrades that are sitting as enemies on this issue, we should better understand where they're coming from. We should figure this out internally in the party, come to a solution where they're bought in because you can't be the workers party by force, right? You, you, you have to use force against your actual enemies against the bourgeoisie and outside invaders and, and counter revolutionaries, but you can't call anyone with a counter revolutionary idea that is a revolutionary, a counter revolutionary, and then thumb them away and, and dig your trenches in. Even if it's an idea that you're right on, you have to, show them how you're correct and get them to buy in if they're going to remain in the vanguard. And if they're splitting, you have to very much recognize that is a true split in the vanguard. And that is with comes with every ramification that a broken vanguard has. I don't know. That's what I'm weighing in with what I read here. I would hope that yeah. you would have anything else you'd want to weigh in on it with no, you. This I is would really your wheel again provide the hot take that we should have like kept Trotsky in a box and let him keep just keep writing without any power. <laughs> his his uh, his theories of fascism are a lot better than the Third International's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it, he's People still. Read him. <laughs> he, it's funny because like fascism loved him, and yet he had he was very much a communist revolutionary that had fascism down to a T. Like, yes. we should fully understand what that means, not just go Trotsky bad. Trotsky <laughs> bad, but well, sure, for, but but not it's not the simple. That, uh... <laughs> this is when nuance actually is somewhere in the middle. <laughs> But you can't just say somewhere in the middle, pick anywhere in the middle. You've got to actually take it issue by issue and land on the right spot. Graham, she really had it all. <laughs> and that's why we're reading them. There we go. Uh, so with that, this has been Mark's Madness Pod, part of Chunkalutin Network. We read books. Uh, there's a number of ways you can get a hold of us. Uh, you can go on Twitter or X. We are at Mark's Madness Pod. Uh, Chunkaluta is at it's at Chunkaluta Org on Twitter. X. It is at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. X. Um, there's also a link tree, linktr.ee slash Chunkaluta Network. Um, that will have links to the Patreon. Um, as well as uh, LiberPay. I'm not, that, that's a newer thing. That's kind of like the Patreon alternative. Uh, there's links to Blue Sky there. Uh, there's links to, you know, Mark's Madness Pot here, as well as Decolonized Buffalo and uh, Black People's Union links in there. Um, we also are, of course, turned back into having a winter drive <laughs> again. Um, so that, can be found at uh, or you can donate to that um, at Zicato Tin Can on uh, Cash App um, which is not in the link tree um, and then of course there is and the link is in the Mark's Madness uh, bio on uh, Twitter there is our Discord link for Mark's Madness 
um, as well as there is a Chunkaluta Discord that you can get into through the Patreon. Um, any other plugs you have, Press? Uh, no, I do not. Okay, so with that, this has been Mark's Madness Pod, part of Chunkaluta Network. We read books. We will talk to you next week. My name's David. I'm Prez. Bye. Bye.